Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Double T, and I would like to wish everyone here and around the globe a happy Memorial Day. Today, we have a special Memorial Day show dedicated to each and every service man and woman who has ever worn the uniform of the U.S. military and served our country proudly. We would first like to thank you for your sacrifice and your service. We would like to thank your families for their sacrifices while you served and also the sacrifices that have been made for our injured veterans that have returned home as well as our soldiers who have not returned. Serving our country is a selfless act, but one that many people too soon forget once our servicemen and women return home. Our veterans are heroes and deserve to be treated as such. So with that in mind, author Peter Lyon and I decided it would be a fitting tribute to our veterans to do a Memorial Day podcast on two such heroes. The two books that Peter has written are on World War II and are called American Saint Nick and Merg. They take place in and around Luxembourg around the time of the Battle of the Bulge. We split the podcast into two parts. Each part covers one book. We hope you enjoy this as it was done with love. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Double T here on the Double T Podcast Network. We are sitting here at Brassie's Restaurant in New Haven, Connecticut. And I am sitting here with seven-time Emmy Award-winning producer, director, and writer, Peter Lyon, who has written two books that we're going to talk about today, American St. Nick and Merg. But before we do that, we would like to take a moment to raise our hearts and our prayers to the good people of Ukraine for fighting a valiant fight against an evil, maniacal dictator, Vladimir Putin. And we sincerely hope and pray that this senseless war um, ends quickly. Um, the atrocities, the war crimes, and crimes against humanity that this man has perpetrated amongst these people are senseless. And as I have said many times, this is actually the United States at war with Russia. This has nothing to do with Ukraine. Ukraine is a pawn in this war, in my opinion. But enough about politics. I'd like to welcome into the Double T Podcast Network, Peter Lyon. Peter, welcome in. Tony, great to be here. Great to be with you. Finally. 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 It's been how many years, I was about Peter? to ask you. <laughs> it's been about 43 More years. More than either of us cares to, to want to remember. How's yeah, that? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But it's nice to finally see you. And I must tell you, uh, reading American Saint Nick and Merg uh, was an absolute pleasure. And I'd like to just say to the audience that Pete and I um, talked a few months ago and... Um, we decided to do this on Memorial Day uh, in honor of our current veterans and all veterans that have served our country um, in any capacity. Anybody that has ever worn the uniform, we sincerely 
honor you for your service and thank you for your service. And uh, being that Pete has written a couple of books about World War II heroes, um, we thought it would be a good idea to bring you a Memorial Day special, special as a tribute to our servicemen here and abroad. So, Pete, um, which book would you like to talk about first? <laughs> that's that's because they, they, they both well they both kind of intersect a little bit. There is there is uh, they intersect in that they both take place around obviously around the same time World War Two Battle of the Bulge and both stories uh, occur simultaneously albeit like four miles from each other which is uh, I mean that's that's kind of where we are with this so really kind of. Uh, we, we can start with tell you what, let's start with American Saint Nick and we'll work our way towards Merg how's that okay um, and this has to do with the 28th Infantry this is about the 28th Infantry Division which at the time of the of the, the story takes place we sort of have to like backtrack a little bit and say like the 28th Infantry Division was um, in the town of well they were in Luxembourg and the reason they were there is because they had just been pulled out of this horrific battle of the Hurtgen Forest, and, right. and and it was an absolute horror show, and there was a, 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 a soldiers called it a meat grinder. It was, it was terrible. Now, the, in the Hurtgen Forest, this is where the Germans had kind of like uh, set this up to be a to be a meat grinder. They had, yes, in fact, they had trimmed the bottoms of the trees, they and knew, they, they they knew that this 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 it's a it's about a fifty square mile patch of forest on the German. Belgian border, and they knew that this was going to be, should it come to this, one of the uh, last lines of defense to, to prevent the Allies from entering into Germany. And they made this a kill zone. Oh, that was an absolute kill zone. Don't forget, they they had, you know, eight, seven, eight years to prepare this to this area. So as you were mentioning, they had cleared the undergrowth. Um, the 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 terrain itself was ideal for a defending army because it was steeply ravined. Uh, it was it, the trees went you know the, the old age old trees, hundred feet tall, eclipsed the sun even on the brightest days. It was always dripping water. The ground was always wet. There were very few roads throughout the hurricane forest. So it was so really this was because of the, the mud, because of the, the lack of roads, because of the cover, really made this an infantryman's battle. So this was strictly the foot soldier battle. So when the, when, when the Allies walked this, into this... Well, I say Allies, this was strictly an American battle, by the way, the, the Hurricane Force. It was strictly American troops. So when the American troops mm -hmm. walked in there, it was basically an ambush. It was a kill zone. Yeah. It, they, walked, they walked into a kill zone. And, and for, for basically uh, you know, months, this battle raged with very little um, gain and loss on either side because, again, it was just so heavily defended by the Germans. It, when the uh, 28th Infantry entered the battle, it was at the, uh, basically the beginning of November 1944. They fought in there for two weeks straight and were absolutely torn up in this battle. So uh, when you talk about a division of troops, you're talking about roughly 9,000, 9, 10,000 guys. You know, I mean, with... When you start including all the attachments, such as the you know MPs and the medical and all that, you're talking about nine thousand guys. And I read that we lost about six thousand. Two, th two thirds of the troop were just were were, were lost to casualties. Unbelievable. Which is, and so, and what the Americans did, you know, figuring they needed to continue this battle, would to was to cycle out the divisions 
So the 28th went in in relief of the 9th division, and then another division came in in relief of the 28th. And the 28th then was sent westward to rest and recuperate and to rebuild and resupply, etc., etc. And they were, they were they basically... They sent to Viltz. Well, they were, they were actually sent throughout Luxembourg. And oddly enough, you know, although they were, they were sent into, re, into, the, into reserves, they were also assigned to protect the border, the, the front line. But, but at that time, they were spread so thin. Again, you're talking about just 3,000 3, guys. 3,000 guys, yeah. So though there were such wide gaps in the defense at that time. That there were literally quarter-mile gaps in this front-line defense of this, of this region, which is known as the, the Quiet Zone. The town of Vils just happened to be where they decided to establish the headquarters for the 28th. So Vils was very important because it was the 20th uh, Divisional Headquarters. It was where the... Uh, the, the guys from our story uh, take our station because they are part of the headquarters unit of the Signal Company Message Center. Now there are also um, the the one regiment was up in the town of Clairvaux, another regiment was you know spread south, another regiment you know and other parts of them were were spread throughout this Luxembourg region. But the 28th Infantry Division headquarters was in Vils. So that town of Avils becomes very important to the story. Absolutely. In fact, it's... These guys stayed in their homes. They had... It's... it's it, you know, Throughout... It's funny, because throughout Luxembourg, you know, Luxembourg was liberated in September 1944, and they uh, welcomed the Americans as their liberators with open arms and shared... You know, again, they didn't have much to share because of the ravages of war, but opened their homes, opened their hearts, now the the troops were also you know stationed or bivouacked in hotels and wherever else they could they could put them, um, and and truly this was a the quiet zone. This was where they were sent for R and R. Now they also had their their daily duties that they had to perform. So we get to this headquarters division or this headquarters unit and the signal company message center, and their job was to send and receive coded messages throughout the day, throughout the night, 24-7, that's what they did, and they did it in shifts. So when they weren't on shift, they were free to roam, you know, the roam town around. and just... Yeah. And so what they did is they ended up meeting a lot of people in the town, and the vision was, first the word came down is don't fraternize with these people there. They could be spies, they could be... Whatever. And then as the soldiers, the you know, actual foot soldier realized, like, the, the people in Luxembourg hated Germans more than, you know, more than the Americans or right. more than the Allies because they had to live under their, under their under regime thumb, for, yeah. like, five, nearly five years. And it was horrible. It was a horrible uh, existence. And one of the things that they found out was that the Germans, when they took over uh, the administration of Luxembourg after the invasion in 1940, they considered Luxembourg part of Germany. And so they were. They didn't. The Germans did not look at it as we were, we're occupying uh, a country. Yeah. We're annexing. We're bringing them back. We're yeah. welcoming it's them ours. back to the fatherland. Right. You know? Not unlike what we see. It, as you U- mentioned earlier, Ukraine and Russia. Correct. Right. Yeah. So there's there's some parallels you can make there, and um, when when the American soldiers found out what the Germans had you know, were doing, and just an example, like all the street signs were changed from whatever it was to German names. So the Grand Rue became you know Adolf Hitlerstrasse, and if you uh, all the all French-sounding surnames were changed to German-sounding surnames. The official language of Luxembourg ceased to exist and was forbidden to speak. You had to now speak German. All the official documents were in German. 
Um, so, you know, if you think about it, whole family uh, um, legacies were being erased by the Germans. And one of the things that the Germans outlawed were non-sanctioned German holidays. And this is how we get to the meat of the story here, is that the soldiers on the ground of the message center found out that one soldier in particular, his name was Harry Stutz, who, who uh, befriended a, a guy in town. And they were, and he was learning, Harry was, through this guy, that the, the Germans had outlawed the, the holiday of St. Nicholas Day because it was not a German uh, observed holiday. Yeah. The people in Luxembourg, however, and, and other parts of Europe, uh, embraced St. Nicholas Day. And St. Nicholas Day, roughly translated, is kind of like Christmas and... And, and, and Thanksgiving and Halloween all balled up into one. St. Nicholas Day was sort of a town-wide celebration. It was a big deal to them. It was a huge deal. You know, this was a town-wide celebration yeah. versus Christmas, which was a family thing. Mm -hmm. But it was outlawed. So for basically five years, they, they couldn't have they could their not holiday. celebrate this holiday. So the Americans find out about this. And again, this one soldier in particular, his name is Harry Stutz. And Harry's like, geez, you know, he's thinking, that's, that's got to be awful. There's got to be something that we, you know, we're the, we're the U.S. Army. We can do, we should be able to do something. So he gets this idea of, hey, why don't we throw him a Christmas party? Because that's how, that's how Harry translated St. Nicholas Day, that it was Christmas. a Christmas party. And you have to, yeah, you what you it. had to realize, though, is Harry was Jewish. So he didn't understand Christmas, the holiday. You know, that, was, know that, that, was, that was kind of the funniest part of that story. Right? I mean, it's and, and like, honestly, if you tried to make this up, you couldn't. But that's but this is a fact. Harry Stutz was Jewish. And he just he just felt bad for these people not being able to celebrate. So he says, you know, there's got to be something we can do. And he throws the idea, you know, up the chain of command. He goes to his sergeant, who goes to the staff sergeant, up to the lieutenant, up to the captain, and so forth and so on. And the idea eventually crosses the desk of the of lieutenant, of, of excuse me, of, of General Dutch Coda, who was in command of, of the... 28th Infantry Division, and, and General Coda thinks it would be a, a great idea, so he says, yeah, let's, let's, let's go ahead and do this, and he commissions, like, in, invitations for this party to be given to the people in town. Invitations. Now, here's a town that couldn't celebrate. These people couldn't celebrate this holiday. Suddenly, here's the American Army giving them invitations to a party, so, Har so Harry realizes he's on the hook for this now, so he's got to make this, he's got to make this work. So he knows nothing about it. Again, he's Jewish, doesn't know anything about this, so he decides, hey, yeah, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the, the town priest and I'll get a little background on this whole thing. So he does. He goes to the church in town, the main church in town, and he goes to the priest and he, and he, and he asks him, like, what this is all about. And the priest kind of, like, you know, fills him in, fills in some blanks, and he says, you know, well, if you, if you want to find out, like, when to have a party and where to do it, you should really go talk to the teachers in town. So he does. He gets in the jeep, goes to the to the schools, and he and he went to the to the convent school that was like in the in the Vils castle, and he asks them like, you know, we're thinking of doing this for the kids, you know, because this party really was about the kids. And he says, let's, you know, I want to, we want to throw a party, and the teachers are, are, you know, they they're scratching their heads, you know, cocking their eyebrows, like, you want to do what? Because again, for five years they've had nothing, and now that, here comes this soldier, this corporal, saying, hey, we're going to throw you a party, and it's going to be by invitation, and we're da 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 da, and they're. Just, they're just tickled in pink. Well, they just, they just, this is the, this is great. So they decide that uh, it's going to be on December fifth, which is the day before Saint Nicholas Day. That's what we're going to do. And then Harry realizes that in order to, and and and, and Harry then re went around to realizing that they, were, they didn't have anything with which to celebrate because of the ravages of the war. They didn't have anything to pass up to the kids, treats, candies, anything like that. They had nothing. 
So he says, all right, he goes around to the, everybody that's you know, in, in the headquarters unit at the time and, and, and everybody else in town and, and starts collecting stuff from their, 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 their rations, their gifts from home, anything that they can give to the kids. He asks the, uh, the company cooks to, to make uh, donuts cookies and cookies and whatever. Yeah. Um, they, uh, the soldiers had donated um, the D bars, the big thick chocolate bars that would be melted down to make hot cocoa. And he gets all this stuff together and he, and he realizes there's, there's one really huge missing element to this idea. And that is, Saint Nick. he's got to have a Saint Nick. He's got to have someone <laughs> be Saint Nicholas. So he, he, he says to me, you know, uh, maybe I can get my roommate and my good friend, uh, 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 Richard Brookings, to do it. So he goes to Richard, who is, again, he, he works with Harry at the, at the, in, the, in the message center. And Harry explains the idea and says, this is what I want to do, and, and, and explains the whole idea for the party, and Richard <laughs> probably says, I don't want to do it. No, get somebody else. <laughs> and the reason is because it, this was sounding like, when Harry told all about the, the, the invitations and everything that was going to happen, Richard figures this is going to be kind of a big deal, and I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to mess this up. You know, this is going to mean a lot. And, and, and maybe it's something these kids will remember for a while, and I don't want them to remember it for all the wrong reasons. I don't want it to be good. But Harry was very persuasive, and he, and he kept working on Richard. And finally, Brooklyn says, okay, fine, I'll do it. What do I have to do? And then he realizes he has to basically dress up as St. Nicholas and, you know, pass out treats to the kids. And don't you know, that's exactly what he did. And that's in, on December 5th at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. St. Nicholas, in the form of Richard Brookins, after fi after a five-year absence, and, and Tony, here's an important element. You have to remember, there were kids who started growing up hearing about this holiday, but had never saw it, never saw it, never experienced it, and here now, in the flesh, in the town, in the middle of the, of the castle courtyard, the there, there's castle some courtyard. great pictures in the uh, book about this. Yeah, and, and there's all, and there's pictures. photos, and there's a great story, backstory about those photos too that we'll, we can get to. Yes. But the thing it is, here now in the flesh is St. Nicholas in front of these kids and, and there's treats being passed out and there's music being played and there's, you know, a celebration and it's just a wonderful, wonderful time for the kids, especially for the children of this town. Get, get to the story about the, about the pictures because that, well, that was an amazing fact. And, and you, talk, you talk about coincidence, you know, it's just so... They're, you know, they, the, the party is planned. They know, they know what they're going to do. Here's Richard. He's dressed as St. Nicholas. And he's, what he does is they, they, Harry secures the priest's mass robes to, to, to be St. To, for Richard to wear to, as this costume. The nuns in the convent uh, fashion this mitre, this bishop's yeah, hat. Yeah. And they give, I mean, he looks like the Pope. He looks like the Pope, right. <laughs> and then he's got a cross on it and everything. And he's, got a, a, and he's carrying a shepherd's staff, and it's, it's held together with tape because it was broken, and it's called a crozier. And it was all to like, make him look like St. Nicholas, and, and including two assistants or angels who were like, you know, two girls that were the top of the class or whatever that were chosen to be his angels to, like, assist him. And they... They plop Richard into a jeep and drive him like from the castle courtyard down to the boys' school in the center of town, and then they do a procession back to the castle because they want to bring everybody back to the castle where the party is. So, and they also wanted to make sure that everybody in town could see that Saint Nicholas was better. Yeah. Now, happening at that same time, there were two combat photographers who were out that day 
and they were assigned to film a, uh, a, a bombing run over the Roar River Valley. They were also there to, uh, and they were talking about film photographers, and they were also there to uh, 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 film 9th Infantry troop movements into Germany. Anyway, they've completed their assignments, they're on their way back into town, and now, again, Wilts is a very small town. There's one road in, it winds down, it's the Grand Rue, it, it winds down around the Wilts Castle and then sort of loops its way back out of town. So they're coming in, and as they're coming into town, they're just about to take a left on, on the street called Rue de Tondeur, and they're about to take a left, and as, and as they, if they were to do that, they would be right to headquarters where they could drop off their film and, you know, Wipe their hands, they were done for the day. But as they're getting ready to make that turn, coming out of the castle portal, they see what looks like Santa Claus hanging out of the back of a Jeep. And I, I'll tell you, Tony, that's not something you're going to see in World War II Europe every no, day. No, not, 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 yeah, I wouldn't think so. So these guys are like, well, you know, wonder what's going on. So they follow the Jeep. They don't take the turn to get to headquarters. They follow the Jeep. And they get to the boys' school, and one of the uh, photographers, they... they uh, he elbows one of the guys standing around and says, "What's going on here?" And he tells him about this party. And he says, "You know, we're going to head back up to the castle. If you know, if you want to." You know, the guys are thinking, "Hey, we've got some extra film on the roll. Why don't? We, yeah, why not? Let's just let's go burn it off." So they go set up at the at the castle, and they await the approach of Saint Nicholas. And so we see in 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 this archival film from 1944. We see the Jeep pass through the castle portal. This is very important. And he, in the Jeep, settles in the castle courtyard. We see Richard get out. We see them interacting with the children. And the thing of it is, this was not something that these photographers or these film guys were assigned to do or had to do. They just did it because they thought it'd be a really, just a, a neat thing to, 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 to sort of, you know, capture on film. And so, they uh, and what and what the interesting part about this is that if you if you extrapolate out, because they had just finished their assignments, had they come into town thirty seconds earlier, or thirty seconds later, let's say, they would have not seen. They would have missed it. The jeep coming out of the portal. Yeah. But as luck would have it, they came back into town at just the right moment in time, and so we actually have we can actually see video. <clears throat> You know, film of the actual event from 1944, and some of the stills in the book were taken from that, that actual film. There also happened to be, by the way, a Stars and Stripes photographer who was alerted by the by the message center that something was going to happen. So there was, you know, a Stars and Stripes guy there as well. But the film is, to me, that's the real hook: is that you had film from 1944, so you can see what Richard Brooklyn, you can see the soldiers, you see Harry Stutz, you see all these kids in the smiling faces, and it is just, it just touches your heart. God works in mysterious ways. So, if you, if you, stay, and if you stop and look at it, like right there you've got some amazingness, right? You've got this Jewish soldier running around town trying to organize this Christmas party, so to speak. Then you've got these photographers and these film guys that like just happen to come in at just the right moment. And you know, even if the story ended right there, you'd say, "Wow, that's an amazing! That's what a great, isn't it, what a wonderful heart, heartwarming holiday story! Isn't that terrific?" That's not where the story ends, though. See, because ten days later, the Battle of the Bulge breaks out, and the town of Vils, but with the Germans invading, uh, uh, with the big push for the Bulge. 
they basically roll over Wiltz. They roll over Luxembourg. And again, this is where the, the salient, the bulge happens. And it's like, you know, the, everybody in Wiltz is trying to like escape and go westward. And they were forced to abandon this town with these, you know, these people that they've come to know for the last month. And the soldiers of the 28th never went back to Wiltz after the bulge because you know, Simons took them elsewhere. They ended up in the Alsace-Lorraine region or whatever. And the town of Wiltz, which before the bulge had pretty much been untouched by the horrors of war. By, by that, I don't, I don't mean by the Nazi occupation. I mean by the bombing and things like that. Because the Germans at that time, they just, they just retreated and didn't bother to defend it. Uh, the towns in Luxembourg, especially Wiltz. So everything was pretty much intact when the soldiers got there. Well, after the bulge, the town was all but destroyed, 80% destroyed by the bombing and everything. And, and sadly, it was the Allied bombing that had to be done to, to, you know, to root out the Germans from Wiltz that caused the destruction. And sadly, some of the children who were in this, uh, at this Christmas party, at this St. Nicholas Festival, were killed in the, in the ensuing action of the bulge. And even so, even though these, you know, these children, and, and, and you know, if you think about it, this was their last best memory of that time. Right. Um, even so, the, the, you know, the, their deaths, the town is destroyed. The people of Vils never forgot the kindness and generosity of this handful of U.S. US soldiers, soldiers that one St. Nicholas Day. And one of the guys in town, his name was Gene Schweig, he was 16 at the time, he he decided that he was going to, you know, make it his mission to make sure that, not, that nobody forgot what these soldiers had done. So he decided that he he would, and, and as, as he rolled, he decided this day, he made sure that Every St. Nicholas, since the, the, they rebuilt the town in like 1949, and he made sure that uh, from that time on that their St. Nicholas celebration would then uh, incorporate a new element to their St. Nicholas celebration. So they added a tradition. They added a tradition. It wasn't just Saint, celebrating St. Nicholas Day. This was going to be different. And they decided what they would do is each and every year they would reenact the jeep procession through town, okay. just like the soldiers did during the war. They would have a party at the Viltz Castle for the children, just like the soldiers did during the war. And that somebody from town would be chosen to dress up as not just St. Nicholas, but as the American St. Nicholas. And they would parade him through town so everybody could see him just like they did during the war. And they reenacted this faithfully for 30, 30 years. years. 30 years they did this. And then on the 30th anniversary of the rebuilding of the town, this this guy who was 16 at the time, his name is, again, Gene Schweig, decided that he wanted to try to do something special, something big. <laughs> so he gets the idea that, hey, what if we brought back those soldiers to have them recreate this event once again? What a marvelous idea. But they didn't know if these soldiers had survived the war. So the search began. Did they, you know, did they live? If they, they didn't know. And this guy, Gene, he tried everything. He went to the embassy. He went to the, to the army. He, any, any string he could pull, he tried, could not find these soldiers. And part of the reason was, unbeknownst to him and many, many people, is that uh, there was a fire in the 70s at the records archives in St. Louis which held the records a lot of these discharge uh, 
records okay. for soldiers. And so there was no record. And this was before uh, computers. Way before computers and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So literally, like, you know, millions of records were destroyed. Okay. So this guy was hitting a brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. But what he would do is anytime veterans of the war would come through Vils, when there were many who would retrace their steps and everything, yeah. you know, uh, he would ask them if you, well, there was a little museum that they established at the Vilts Castle dedicated to the soldiers who had fought in this town. So he would he would bring them to the castle and he would show them the museum and he would ask them questions, blah, 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 and see if they knew anything. And most of them didn't know anything because they weren't, you know, they were just soldiers passing through town. Well, as, again, our friend Luck would have it, there was a former MP, military police that uh, uh, officer, soldier, that was coming back, reliving his war days, he uh, had been one of the last defenders of Viltz during the bulge that allowed the headquarters division to retreat. He stayed behind to help, you know, help with the defense of the town. Eventually, uh, made his way into the woods and was captured uh, just outside of the town of Dunkels in in, uh, in Luxembourg, which is just a few miles uh, north of and west of Viltz, and spent the remaining time of the war as a POW. But he came back in the 70s and wanted to retrace his ward, his, his time during the war. And his name was uh, Frank McClellan. So Frank wanders into Viltz and he was just going to stay there overnight on his, on his way to uh, into Germany where his where he was a POW. And while he's in town, he meets this guy, Gene Schweig, and another gentleman happened with Gene at the time. And they said, well, you've got to come see our, our castle. You've got to yeah. come see our museum. And, and so... Uh, Frank says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go there the, the next day in the morning before I leave. He says, okay, fine. So they go to the museum and they're walking through and they and Gene points to these, these photos on the wall. Now remember, there was a, a U.S. Stars and Stripes yep. uh, photographer. So yep. he, uh, there was a, a photo and a newspaper. And the, and the photo in the newspaper was of a soldier dressed as St. Nicholas in a Jeep. And all they had was this name, Richard, Richard Brookings. Brookings and Rochester, New York. That's all they knew at the time. And this was, again, from 1944. So they said to this guy, Frank, well, you must, you, you were here in Vils? And he says, yeah, I was. And he says, well, then you must know this soldier. And again, division is, what, 9,000 guys? At yeah. the time, there was What's three. The and he's like, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't recognize him. I don't know him. And he said, well, you must help us find him. <laughs> Frank's, <laughs> Frank's basically laughing at him, like, are you crazy? Like, how, do I, how am I going to find him? I don't know. Anyway. Tried to make this long story short because it's and it's very well detailed in the book and I, I and I'm not saying because I want to sell books but you should really read the story because it's phenomenally detailed and it's just it, one amazing factoid after another and this is what the amazing factoid here is that is that everything's okay indeed so again the book is full of factoids and, and one of the most amazing uh, elements to the story is that Frank does agree to to, to go back and to. And to go back home after his, his retraces his steps and he agrees, okay, I'll try to help you find this guy. So he doesn't have any other resource except I know a guy. He knows a guy. I know a guy. Oh, who, he must have been Italian. <laughs> you know, I know a guy. And he says, I know a guy that works at the phone company. Now, Frank lived in Pittsburgh, just outside of Pittsburgh. So he knew a guy uh, named David Kelly. And David Kelly worked for the phone company. And, and Frank's idea was, well, maybe if I call this guy David, who I knew from 28th Infantry Division reunions that yeah. they would go back to. Yeah. Uh, that, that maybe David could help. Maybe he could feed his name into some computer thing. I don't know. So Dave, so Frank calls up David and he says, you know, he explains what's happening and he asks David, can you help me? 
And David said, well, you know, we're really not supposed to be doing that kind of thing, using our company computers. But, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm in a meeting right now. Give me the guy's name and I'll, I'll see what I can do. So he says, okay, here's the guy's name. The guy's name is Richard Brookins, B-R-O-O. And David Kelly stops him right there and says, Brookins? Richard Brookins? Yeah, why? He goes, I trained him on how to use the, the, the coding equipment. He was he was a pupil of mine. You're kidding. No. Well, do you know if he lived a week? Yeah, I see him all the time. And he, Okay. So anyway... They tracked down Richard Brookins after 30 years, and they, this guy, Gene Schweig, sends Richard a letter saying, you know, we know what you did during the war, and you were St. Nicholas, and we would love to have you come back and recreate your role as St. Nicholas again. Well, Richard is blown away because he's not even thought about this. To them, it was just a day. It was a lot of fun. But don't forget, they still had a war to fight, and there was you know, a, lot of, a, lot of, you know, a lot of things that went on after that little thing. So they didn't really think about it well. Didn't take long for Richard to decide, yes, I want to do this, okay, sure. I'll bring my family. So on the 30th anniversary of the rebuilding of the town, they bring back Richard Brookins mm. to reprise his role as St. Nicholas, which he does, <laughs> and, and Frank McClellan is also brought back, the guy who, you know, who found him, and as is Harry Stutz. So they bring Harry Stutz. They bring these all. They got them all. And again, maybe these, these guys at the time were in their 50s, and they didn't, they didn't think about this at the time. Well, it was such a marvelous thing, and they continue to recreate this this event every year, just like they, they, they did, to the point where now, they, while the parade route through town has changed slightly, um, they will recreate the, the, the Jeep passing through the castle portal to the point where the St. Nicholas will be on a big sled and he'll come through town and there's like not, not just two angels now, there's like six of them. And all, <laughs> but the, sleigh, the sled stops right in front of the Bill's castle, St. Nicholas gets off the sled and sits in a World War II vintage Jeep and they recreate this pass through the tunnel each and every year just to honor those soldiers for what they did during the war in 1944. And that is the basic story of the American St. Nick. And I say again, you know, what, what at the time, what was like 30 kids? There's now thousands of kids that know the story and they show up each and every year and it's a big festival. and. I highly recommend if anyone's there, you go see it. It's 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 absolutely wonderful, um, and that is the basic story of the American Saint Nick. So, Pete, how can one get a copy of American Saint Nick? Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, any it's 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 everywhere. You can just you can go on if you want to if you want to. Uh, have a little help with that, and you want to find more information, you can always go to peterlyonauthor.com, and uh, there's there's plenty of plenty of information. Peter Lyon, author, Ulster, L-I-O-N.com, and you can, you'll see all sorts of information. You'll see, uh, the, you can actually see the 1944 film. You can see uh, lots of different things, and it will uh, point you to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all sorts of areas so there's it's everywhere just Peter, do you uh, do you still do book signings or still do book signings in fact i've got one coming up in a couple of months in uh wolf borough new hampshire so are those on your website also and that's on the website as well and that's and that is at a world war ii museum in wolf borough new hampshire okay uh near lake near lake winnipesaukee and that will be on july 5th and we'll be talking about uh, all things uh, American. If Saint somebody Nick wants Bird. to order your book autographed, will you? Will and they can do that as well. For that, again, you go through the website, and they'll they'll be able to do it right there and then on the website. Fantastic. Well, that will conclude the first half of our world uh, of our. 
part mem- one. Our part one <laughs> of our memorial. I was going to say our World War II podcast, but our Memorial Day memorial. podcast uh, with uh, author Peter Lyon. Uh, so this is Double T saying we will be back for part two, which will cover the book Merg very soon. This is Double T saying we'll see you shortly.